Hey, if you're loving Creative Mind, check out some of our past episodes where we dive deep into topics like children's book illustration, video game design, filmmaking, and of course, the most important topic of all, how do you make a living as an artist? So please hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so you never miss an episode. And check out the show notes for links to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube page for even more great content. Creative is an interesting profession because it's a little bit like singing in the shower. Everybody thinks they can sing because they have a voice. In the same way that everybody thinks that they're a chef because they have a mouth, and everybody thinks they're a graphic designer because they have eyes. The, the truth is it's a profession where the professional ethos and the, the things you learn as a professional are not immediately obvious to a person looking in from the outside. That was past podcast guest and creative director Jonathan Dice. And what Jonathan is answering there is something we're constantly trying to find the answer to here on this podcast. What exactly is a creative? The person who is doing the creativity. And I know defining a word with a word is the absolute faux pas when you're explaining something. But creativity is, is making something and coming up with new ideas and breaking the status quo and all that stuff. But a creative, you, the person hopefully getting paid to do creative work, is something different. And it can be difficult to sit down and start to explain to people what it is you do, or if you're just starting out, what you want to do. I mean, can you? So what we're doing on this compilation episode is putting together some really good advice on what you should be doing, the creative work and practice and things you need to start thinking about if you're gonna start to call yourself a creative. And first off, we have Reese O'Brien. He's creative director at Funko, the company that makes those really cute vinyl toy pop figurines that are of everybody and everything, and people love them, and it's a great pop culture concept. But long before he did that, he put his time in the trenches doing graphic design, illustration, all the stuff you start out doing long before he got into the world of toy design. And he has some great advice on just that simple question of, where do my ideas come from? I tend to just freeform draw whatever weird stuff is in my head. And 80, 90% of it isn't even pitchable. But that last 20, 10% that is gets a shot. So really, it's just a matter of like, instead of throwing single darts trying to get a bullseye, I get two handfuls of darts and I chuck them all at once and I see what sticks. So a lot of times the design process isn't so much intentional as it is cathartic and I'm just getting what's bubbling up naturally inside my cranium out onto a piece of paper. Well, not so much paper anymore. And onto my iPad and into an email to my boss. <laughs> so you're so you're monetizing your therapy then. Kind of because <laughs> hey man, like seriously, creativity is therapeutic. Mm -hmm. Creativity is cathartic. That's why people just paint for fun at home 
but I think a lot of the reasons we go into the business that we go into is because we have no choice to. Our brains are making us do this. There's a need to express this and get this out of us. So we go into the business. So my job is very cathartic. And I don't mean cathartic in the sense of like, oh man, I got some like ghosts that are haunting me to this day that I got to get out of my psyche. I just mean sometimes silliness needs to come out or a goofy pun that makes you laugh needs to be visualized, you know? So it is cathartic in that sense. And and it is very therapeutic because let me tell you, man, when I do land something and it gets greenlit and then it actually gets made and then it ends up on shelves and collectors love it and they buy it. Oh, dude, there's no hour on the couch is ever going to equal that. Oh, man. <laughs> so then what can you say where your best ideas come from? Is it just the ether? Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah. The best ideas I come up with while I'm walking the dog or I'm taking a shower, you know, or somebody makes a silly joke, like a bad pun at <laughs> lunchtime while we're, uh, you know, at Burger King. And I'm just like, bah, that's hilarious. No, I got to go home and draw it. Y yeah. They come out of nowhere sometimes. I've noticed like, cause in my early career, I would sit down and be like, okay, I'm going to create a collectible series of blind box, blah, blah, blah. And then you sit there and you come up with the stupidest stuff you've ever come up with, or you come up with something you've already seen. You're ripping mm -hmm. somebody else off, which is a dangerous thing. So now I've learned to just like, I'm just going to goof off and draw what makes me happy and makes me laugh and I'll pitch it. And if something gets greenlit, it gets greenlit. Great. But otherwise, you know, I'm just going to wing this guitar solo. I'm not going to sit there and think about the notes. So there Reese has broken it down into some focus, you know, the, creative side and of course the making money side the consumerism of it all if you want but if you just spend a lot of money getting an education you're probably sitting there thinking well now what and time and again two concepts or really two ideas come up from our guests and that is research and practice here's reese again explaining a little bit of both specifically when talking about future hires people he's going to bring on to his team who want to break into his world the world of toy design I think it's important to know your history, especially in the world that you're, you know, the career that you're going into. So like, if you want to break into the toy business, I would read every book about the history of toys you can get into. Like, no, you're not going to design lead soldiers from the 1920s, but you should learn about them. You should learn about the history of marbles. You should learn about people like Marvin Glass, who was a genius toy inventor in the 50s and 60s. You should know where your industry that you're going into came from. If you do that, you will see this much bigger picture. It's like, why play a video game in like, okay, you're like in a dungeon crawl video game that didn't come with a map. Why not have the map? <laughs> right? Right. Because if you can see the map of where it's been so far, you will have a better understanding of where it can possibly go. So research the trends over the years. Look behind the scenes of why something was popular. Why did every kid buy Garbage Pail Kids? Every kid I knew bought Garbage Pail Kids. Why? Well, yeah. Why? Find out why. why. <laughs> oh, I do. I yeah. do. But because I studied it. So go back and like study these things and learn them and build an, an encyclopedic knowledge of the field you're going to be in. I think that's a really important thing. And unfortunately, I'm seeing it kind of less and less. 
a lot of applicants don't even get past the first interview because we can tell they don't have one iota about our industry. And we're like, it's not our job to teach that to them. You know what I mean? You do need to come in somewhat prepared. And history is a big part of that. And unfortunately, I don't think that gets taught a lot, even in schools. So that's my first bit of advice. My second bit of advice is to not be afraid to show us a messy portfolio. And in that, I mean, in school, when I was in school, anyway, I don't know how it is now, but they wanted that thing so pristine and your logos are perfect and, you know, all, uh, all that stuff. I don't care about that. I want to see your thought process. Where's your dusty, crappy notebook full of pencil sketches and overlays on tracing paper? That's what I want to see. I want to see how your brain works. It's interesting you mentioned that because through the years you do meet people that when I first got out of school, I thought they were being cynical and pretentious. They go, let me see your sketchbook. Right. And then 20 years later, you know, when I see people I'm like, can I see your sketchbook? Yeah. Show me your sketchbook. I, I, that's, that looks more cool. Well, it doesn't even just look more cool. That's the real you, man. That's like, we might as well just cut your head open and look directly at your brain. Cause that, you know what I mean? Like that's really you as a designer. When I landed the job at that t-shirt company ages ago, I came up with my beautiful portfolio and my lovely logos and my letterhead layout and my gorgeous kerning and all that garbage. And they were bored to tears. And then I got desperate. I went, oh my God, this is not going well. And luckily I had some sketchbooks in my backpack. And I said, well, here's some like character design and stuff that I kind of worked on. And all of a sudden, everybody, there was like three guys in there interviewing me. They lit up and they were like, ooh, you did this? You created this character? Oh, and they saw my thought process and they saw how silly I can get and how messy I can get. They saw the things that I tried but just weren't working or whatever. Like there were drawings in there that just had a big X on them because I was like, nope, that's not working. <laughs> but they loved seeing that. And that's what got me the job. And unfortunately, I see a lot of pristine portfolios and I'm like, yeah, great. I mean, I go to their websites, I go to their Behance pages and I take a look at these things and I just go, yeah, that's lovely. But how did you get to that point? I want to see the thought process. I want to see the mess. So do your research, know your history, like the back of your hand and show us a messy portfolio. The idea of research can often be looked at very cynically to people outside of the creative world because they look at you and go, well, you're just watching a bunch of movies and TV shows and playing video games. But if your goal is to make movies and TV shows and make video games and magazine covers, then you really have to invest your time in sitting there doing just that. And one of our past guests, Jeremy Saliba, who is an illustrator and teaches concept art at the Academy of Art, talks here about developing your taste as an artist is one of the best things you can start doing. I think, I mean, in a word, exposure of researching, and by that I mean watching movies. I think kind of exposing yourself to a, a lot of these things that you hear about that are good. So we're doing these film nights over Discord at the Academy now, where we're, you know, doing presentations on movies like Robocop, like also, but like The Triplets of Belleville or Isle of Dogs, or we just showed The Shining and did a deep dive on that because they should be exposed to it because their future art directors will be referencing these things. Mm -hmm. So it's good. And again, we have young students, international students, people who won't have seen stuff from 
earlier eras. But I, I truly believe it, again, to use the food analogy, it's you got to eat your vegetables. You know, uh, if you want to, <laughs> if you want to be healthy, you have to take in the good stuff. And I'm, I get really hardcore about this. And <laughs> my poor children, again, you know, they I won't kind of allow really bad stuff in the house. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm kind of a jerk as I don't think I'm necessarily right, but I feel very strongly that if they watch a lot of stuff with bad, it's like junk food. You'll yeah. get unhealthy after a while and you know, gotta go to the doctor. And so I think, you know, eating your vegetables and watching these movies, not only will it inform you, but I think you start to develop that taste because you'll start to appreciate subtlety. And especially if you're watching it maybe with someone who is a fan, who has enthusiasm about that stuff too. Like when we do our movie nights or with a fellow student. And I think some of the students they've been talking about starting up their own discords within the department, student-run discords and other elements like that, that's, that's fun, that's cool. Because they're going to know also their own point of view from their generation better, which I think mm -hmm. is sure. really important. Because again, I don't want to yuck anyone's yum, and that's why I don't tell them, you know, Phantom Menace is a terrible movie and you can't like it. By all means, keep liking it, but don't try to convince someone it's good, mm -hmm. but, but you can convince someone you like it and you can tell them why. So there you go. Now you have official permission to watch all of the TVs and movies you want, play all the video games you want, because you're starting to absorb what is good and of course what is bad. A great big step towards being a creative. Now you have your reference points burned into your brain and reference, no matter how mundane it is, is the basis for a lot of what you're going to get paid to work on when you start using that moniker of creative. Here is podcast guest Charmaine Chan. She runs the virtual sets for shows like The Mandalorian for Industrial Light and Magic, you know, the biggest, most popular show going, the most forward-looking concept, the most innovative thing happening right now. But she's going to explain how reference never stops being a part of the direction she gives to the artists she works with. A lot of times I actually tell a lot of the artists on my team to literally turn off your computer, step away and go outside. It's just one of those things where you get so much inspiration by things in the real world. I can literally sit on a bench somewhere and just like stare at the corner of a building and see like how the light just goes across that building throughout the day. It's just one of those things that I find very relaxing and being able to just like study how light interacts with a lot of things in real life. I think that's why I also really love photography and just being able to capture a moment when you see that like still, it's like, let's then deconstruct it. What's going on in this, you know, image. And so for me, I constantly refer to what I see out my window or, you know, when I'm walking down the street, things like that, because it will always come back to you. And also Google image is your friend. <laughs> like, I'm always constantly like, hmm, rainy day. That, you know? Where's that? Where's that folder of purple magic fire? I know I saw it somewhere. I'm not the only person to think of Absolutely. that. Absolutely. To me, it's like, I love reference. It's, I think it's really fun having reference. You know, once you start working in the industry for a while, you're going to realize that there are definitely themes and things that come up quite often that you need to add within mm -hmm. your shot when you're compositing. And so build your own little library of like images you can constantly refer to. Well, that's interesting because, yeah, it, it, it does make sense if you're constantly, you know, if, if you become the action movie compositor. It's like, well, you better learn what fire looks like. You better learn what explosions and smoke and debris and rubble and things look actually look like as opposed to, I think that, yeah, it looks like an explosion. It's good enough. Because we've yeah. all seen those movies where you're like, I don't think that thing's on fire. That doesn't there, look... There, there is also, 
actually one other thing, which is a good piece of advice is, you know, we definitely have types of people in the industry who are very much like, I need to make this as scientifically accurate as possible. This needs to work within the physics of our world, you know, and it's one of those things where you're going to be constantly fighting with people over critiques like that because there's real world, world science and then there's movie science, right? And <laughs> right. movie science is more like, does that look cool as opposed to like, oh, yeah, the wind shouldn't be working in that way if this object is moving. You know, like you can definitely go into those kind of details. But like at the end of the day, will the director think that looks cool and does that look like what he wanted? So the idea of doing research, building out your reference library, and putting it into some sort of tangible asset, something that you can present, may sound a little daunting, and not many of us know where to start. And you may say, hey, I want to work on a big TV show like The Mandalorian, but I don't really know the first thing about all of that software. That's actually the last thing you should be thinking about. Here, as stop-motion artist and animator Aaron Wadamu says, here he talks about how software and some of the things you learn are just tools you use, not something you need to conquer. My dad, when I well, I worked with him for some years before he moved to Missouri, and whenever we'd be looking for a drill, he's an elevator guy, okay. and um, he's for many years. And and anyway, uh, whenever he'd ask for a drill, he'd call it a drill motor. He's all, "Where's that drill motor?" <laughs> because to him. To him, it's just a motor. It's a motor that spins. And yeah. I think about that because that is pretty much all every tool is. It's just at a different angle. It has a different purpose. Sometimes there's two together. Sometimes okay. there's a, yeah. And so that, that being said, you can say, hey, do you know how to use that tool? And I can be like, I've never used that one, but I'm sure that within 20 minutes, I could probably use that tool. Yes. And it doesn't right. matter what it is, unless it's, you know, something a CNC machine or something, you know, something that's, yeah. you know, whatever. But I'll say this is about software too. And it's kind of like that too, because that's kind of what filmmaking animating is, is it's kind of presenting yourself with a bunch of problems mm. and trying to figure out how to do those. And, and, and they're within those programs and there's no manual for it necessarily. Right. There's manual for the tools, but even like you look at somebody like Kubrick, every single one of his films, he had to kind of, talk to the camera company or do this to get mm. things made for what he was trying to do. It's the same way with software. I might not know a piece of software, but I feel like I can take a half an hour and I can probably get under the hood and we can probably figure out what, mm -hmm. what you need to get done with it. Okay. I now know what it takes to actually make something, create it, mm -hmm. create to create something. And part of the excitement of it is figuring out how to do it and not quite knowing. You know, right. so I think that would the best thing you could probably come out of school with is, is a sense like that. Like, OK, I'm going to be presented with a bunch of problems and I just need to dig, dig into what I know and figure it out and, and then find what will fill in the rest. The best case scenario is that you just do really well. Right. You mm. just you know, you have a career. You just are a master of something and you, you just never are not in demand. Right. Mm -hmm. That's. Probably the best case scenario from the technical side. Best yeah. case scenario for maybe the artistic side is you have this incredible career where you're, uh, you know, you're, uh, you know, invited to the 
red carpet at the Met Gala, you know, <laughs> maybe, yeah. you know, like, yeah. you know, that, that's pretty far fetched, but that, you know, it has happened or you it have a career happen. where you, or you have a career where you're just allowed to do, okay, here's, here's what the best case scenario, you're, you just get to do what you want to do, you right. know, as an artist, you get to chase things yeah. and you get to create them and there's never going to be a shortage of people that don't want to work with you just completely independent of any company that's or whatever you can just you can just be an artist you know art is a tough path i know we you talked about that you know mm-hmm. a little bit because it's kind of like you know you go to school to become a doctor or something that's hard right you got to know all kinds of stuff but at the end of if you do everything you become a doctor and uh and then you can just be a doctor right our, our art is so much like you say it's not a ten it's so not tangible you know a lot of it yeah. you know a lot of it's not tangible and a lot of it's like you know it's which kind of makes it exciting because it, it puts you in a world where there's a lot of possibility now sure of course that sounds easy coming from aaron but we're always thinking oh man what if i fail what if nobody likes what i do here's reese o'brien again enjoy the rejection letters it means you're on the right path as long as your voice is true and you're getting rejections, your true voice will one day be seen by the right people. And the payoff is astronomical. And I don't mean just like your paycheck. I mean sure. your emotional payoff. The creative satisfaction is astronomical. If you stay true to yourself and find your voice and stick to your guns, you'll be fine. You have to find humility. I had to do that in a major way. And you have to be humble enough to look at those amazing skills that you've developed and realize that nobody cares. I'm sorry. (laughs) Nobody cares that you can draw a perfect circle or that you're a master at this or that. All they care about in the end is can you take the ingredients, your skills, your knowledge, your creativity, can you take all those ingredients and make a delicious soup with it? Because if you can't, because if all you got is the greatest salt in the world, that's all you have is salt. You need all of it. This is the weirdest analogy I've ever come up with. So there you go. A little quick start guide on the basic concepts and ideas you can put into practice today to get you on that path of being a creative. If you like what you're listening to, please hit subscribe on whatever device you're listening to so you never miss an episode of Creative Mind. And we've got some great guests coming up. And of course, you can access all of our past episodes at any time. I'm Bobby Brill. Thanks for listening. Hey, just want to take a very quick break and say thank you for listening to Creative Mind. If you have any questions or thoughts, let us know. Click on the show notes for our email or head over to anchor.fm slash creative mind to leave a voice message.